Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, Homo Sapiens listeners. I'm just jumping on here, did you hear me jump, to tell you that we have exciting news. If you want to listen to Homo Sapiens without the ads, now you can. You can subscribe to Homo Sapiens Plus on Apple Podcasts and all future episodes will be ad-free. How do you sign up? Well, go inside your Apple Podcasts app, go to our Homo Sapiens homepage and the option to subscribe to Homo Sapiens Plus for £1.49 a month is there. There's also BT Dubs, a seven-day free trial available, so you can try before you buy, which is my favourite. I like to do that in the supermarket whenever they've got a little snack being handed out. Anyway, I digress. Well, what have we got here? This looks very much to me like an episode of Homo Sapiens. Welcome listeners, one and all, how are we all? Uh, I feel like I've spoken to you all loads this week, which has been absolutely lovely. Everything's fine over here. I stare out my window and I see seasons on the turn. A couple of trees outside the window, one of them is looking distinctly autumnal. And I've got a Boston ivy. Do you know what that is? I'm sounding very green-fingered after last week's episode with Farmer Ben. It's uh, Boston ivy is a climber and it is goes red in autumn and it's beginning to go red so mother nature has spoken uh summer is departing autumn is coming on in and i love it i love it this is a great time of year because everything's green still so you haven't got that kind of bleakness of winter but it starts to get cold you see the odd you know open fire around the place you can crack out a few more jumpers from your wardrobe maybe even i mean i literally wore shorts for about six months so maybe pop on a pair of trousers. I had a whole wardrobe sort out, honestly. Found loads of old stuff that I'm going to try and wear again. I'm trying to wear things I don't normally wear because I'm a bit of a creature of habit. I sort of wear things on repeat. And I've pulled all these things out. Uh, found a lovely old Mac I'm going to try and put on. And layers, layers, layers is all I'm going to say. Which actually segues me beautifully, uh, genuinely segues me beautifully onto today's episode because we've got none other than international fashion powerhouse, the editor of British Vogue listeners, no less, Edward Enenfall. Edward Enenfall is an incredible person. His story is absolutely remarkable. He was a young boy who grew up on a military base, because his dad was in the army, um, in Ghana as a kid. His mum was a seamstress, interestingly. So there was fashion in the blood, if you know what I mean. 
this kid was, you know, from a military background, from Ghana, was hardly the first person that you would think to come and edit British Vogue. And yet, he's done it. He's the first black person to edit British Vogue. He's the first gay man to edit British Vogue. And he's overcome so many incredible things to get where he is. And he's written a book, it's called A Visible Man. And in it, it talks about what he's overcome. Racism within fashion, um, imposter syndrome that he says he suffered to, suffered to, suffered from for many, many years. He came to England as ostensibly as a refugee, was spotted on the tube by a man called Simon Foxton, who's a very sort of interesting, pivotal person in fashion. And because of that, Edward started to do a bit of modelling. And through that, he ended up becoming a stylist. So deciding on the clothes and the creativity in and around shoots, where he met people like Kate Moss, Naomi Campbell, Steve McQueen. The film director is a really good friend of his. So Edward tells the story of slowly becoming this kind of central person to fashion. What he has done to British Vogue is extraordinary, really, because he came in with this very, very strong take on when he took over British Vogue uh, a few years ago now. I think it was five years ago. His take was, I want it to reflect the Britain I know. I, I want it to be diverse diverse in every sense. I want to see all races, all religions, all sexualities, all gender identities. That's the place I know Britain to be. And he felt that Vogue had become very sort of um, for a very thin slice of uh, society, i.e. aristocracy, sort of reflecting itself back on itself. And I personally back then had disengaged with what Vogue was. And then ever since he took over, I think it's become so exciting the reason I think it's particularly important, because sometimes people can go, oh, Vogue, yeah, it's a fashion magazine, you know, with expensive clothes in, what's that got to do with my life? You know, I, I think that if if Vogue are doing something, that means big brands are doing something. So if Vogue do it, that kind of gives permission to like Topshop and Zara to do it, which gives permission to other brands like Sainsbury's and Asda to do things with their fashion and diversity, making these the proper true diversity permeate everything. So many things like that actually start with those kind of leaders of the cutting edge like Vogue. So what he's done has absolutely changed the fashion industry for the better. And, you know, as always, plenty more work to be done. But he has done amazing things. Um, so really excited to chat to him and hear his story, his incredible stories. It's a wonderful, wonderful chat. I cannot wait for you to hear that. So that's coming up. Have you caught up with last week's episode with Ben Andrews, Farmer Ben? I just loved hearing from you all. So many people got in touch to say how much you loved it. It would take me a while to get through all the emails, to be quite honest. So we've got a few. Ben was talking about being a gay farmer, basically, in Herefordshire. Uh, Nicholas got in touch. Love how Ben bonded with his brother over drag race. Siroc says, I cannot stress how important it is to show LGBTQ plus life in a more positive way. Away from the deficit framing we see, would love to see more interviews with other rural LGBTQ plus people. Rural life for many LGBTQ plus people has its benefits. Now, listeners, I want to do this. I want to do more interviews with the rural LGBT people. Please, can you write in? Do you know someone, anyone who has uh, you think we should talk to? Because we'll get in the car and go see him. Not Hidden, obviously, says, oh, Ben, New Zealand needs an Agrospect. Agrospect was the gay farmer organisation that Ben set up with some other people. 
and the horticultural equivalent, to be honest, says this person. I currently have Sassy Ferguson Envy. New Zealand should have a John Deere version. Fabulous. Uh, Queers of the World said it was so calming to listen to this episode with the birds in the background. I know I should be doing this outside. It's a little chilly, though. Heather said, brilliant episode. Ben is such a warm and very wise person, could listen to him all day. So if you haven't listened to that, everybody, go and have a listen to it. Available on the feed will be ad infinitum. Um, And then Edward got in touch from Northamptonshire. Hello, Chris. I have been a long-time listener of Homo sapiens. Edward, hello. Thanks so much for getting in touch. For some reason, I always remember you and Will going to Hebden Bridge to chat to the locals. I loved going to Hebden Bridge. I think about that trip so much. It's really interesting. Thank you so much for speaking to Ben. Edward Montplaisir. I am one of the people he spoke about and met at Birmingham Pride last year. This is amazing. I was so nervous to go, having recently come out. It's nerve-wracking, Edward. The idea of walking behind a rainbow tractor through a city was terrifying. I hadn't even been to a gay bar, let alone being in the parade. Agrispect was a huge help to me, and I have to say, I don't know what I would have done without it. Like Ben, I've grown up on a family farm going back on both sides for generations. Yes, we all watch Queer as Folk under the covers or listening to your favourite queer podcast with that singer used to fancy from Pop Idol. (laughs) It's so different seeing someone being out and proud in your own community telling stories you can recognise. Ben is far too modest for everything he has done and continues to do for our community. He is that next generation, showing people from rural areas that it's actually you can be who you are and stay in the community and surroundings you've grown up with. This is wonderful, Ed. Many thanks for giving Ag respect to the platform they deserve. I have met the most wonderful people who I hope to be friends for years to come. Kindest, Ed. I like signing off kindest, by the way, Ed. Never seen that. P.S. The Queen was a remarkable lady who showed incredible duty to a position she was never born to do. Regardless of opinion, I think we can all learn from her steadfastness, steadfastness and the commitment she made to this country. Plus, the pomp and ceremony that goes with is so camp. Of course the gays love it. I mean, there was a lot of pomp and camp at that funeral, wasn't there? And thank you, Ed. That is a lovely, lovely message. And then we got an email from Cameron in Toronto uh, about the Queen. When the Queen passed last week, I thought immediately of my late grandmother. My grandmother was about the same age as the Queen, and I know my grandmother felt a connection with her throughout her life. She attended the coronation in 1953, gosh, when the Queen was like 25, sailing across the Atlantic on the Queen Elizabeth, a ship named for another woman crowned at a young age whose reign changed history. Interesting. I like to imagine that my mother, a young woman, seeing another young woman become one of the most powerful women in the world before her eyes was a source of inspiration to her. My grandmother was a businessman at a time when women simply didn't do that, as she travelled the world with my grandfather, and after he passed with her Scottish boyfriend, climbing volcanoes in the Canary Islands and riding camels in Tunisia in her 60s and 70s, loving your grandmother, and best of all, loved people for who they were, without prejudice. She embraced my being gay with open arms, Oh, this is wonderful. I miss her. And I thought a lot about her this week with the news of the Queen passing. Cameron, what a lovely message. Thank you so much. Please keep your Queen memories, Queen, what the Queen meant to you. Keep them coming in. Send us your thoughts on the Ben episode. Send us your thoughts on this chat with Edward. Let's go have a listen to it. It's a ridiculously lovely chat with a ridiculously talented, lovely, kind man who's genuinely changing the world. I love him. Here's our chat. You've written a book, which is quite an insular thing, mm. is now sitting here talking about it almost like therapy because you're sort of going <laughs> back through it. 
that's a good point actually <laughs> <laughs> because you you know you're really honest in the book aren't you very honest yeah very honest. but i mean anybody who knows me knows that i'm sort of i try to be as honest as i can yeah in everyday life really yeah is that a family thing i think so i mean my my mother was pretty much the same my father was the same you know we come from sort of a a Ghanaian family. Mm. I always say slightly religious because we weren't. And sort of being honest was always valued in my house, even though we weren't we weren't rich. Um, honesty was sort of very valued. Mm-hmm. So I grew up with that. And karma gets me so bad. I remember every time I did something wrong, <laughs> whatever, karma would hit me into <laughs> Really? Yeah. So, you know, I always try to be as honest as I can. Interesting, because I remember you saying, um, well, firstly, I I just want to say, because I don't want to say it halfway through, I loved the book. I think it's extraordinary. And, um, you know, it's not the only time I've crossed over with Oprah, but she said, oh, it makes so much sense to how you got where you are. (laughs) And I think that that is what I felt, you know, and it was so evocative of those times and made me want to be on Labrick Grove immediately. And (laughs) it painted such a beautiful picture of uh what feels like a time capsule and yes you know and the fact that you sort of um have done all these incredible jobs but all you've ever brought to them is yourself it's in- incredibly that's all simple I can bring. yeah um but that i suppose i'm wondering if that's a family thing as well to stay true to yourself because i think queer people struggle with that don't we <laughs> right <laughs> i mean you know i mean I mean, I have, to, I have to stay true to myself. You know, we had to flee one country, mm. you know. Then I was kicked out of home. <laughs> mm. Then I went into the the gay scene and realized that there were all these sort of different sort of descriptions they had for um, what your tastes were in men, so to say. And, I, mm. and through it all, I was just like, I have to be myself. Mm-hmm. You know, I was a refugee, but I was still Edward the refugee I was you know I was gay but I was still Edward and I just had to keep myself you know Mm -hmm. be as true to myself as I could and thank god I've been able to do that all these years Mm. despite all the odds and all the failings and successes. Growing up in Ghana you said it wasn't uh, like a rich upbringing but it was a very specific one i suppose because it's a military background right it's an <laughs> extraordinary setting for a young gay kid what was that like you know because so many of us who who grow up gay queer lgbtq plus you spend about nine years sort of within a bubble in your head being like okay <laughs> <laughs> what was that like in ghana i mean in ghana you know i was surrounded by my my brothers and um, my sister we grew up on a military base in a place called Takaradi, which is like sort of a little seaside village. But when you live on a military base, you're, you're detached from the world. Mm. It's almost like a, a little world in itself. So mm. it's very, it was a happy childhood. Then we moved to another military base, Burma camp, which I describe in the book. Mm. And, you know, there was a hill opposite where, you know, it was essentially a firing squad for every weekend. It's like, oh, it's firing squad day. <laughs> and when you're a kid, that is so normalized. Mm. And then we came to London. Really, really poor. You know, all of us crammed into a couple of rooms. But through it all, I didn't even know what 
queerness or gayness was. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until I was stopped on a train and sort of discovered this crazy world called, called fashion that I, re- that I realized something clicked in my head. I thought, oh, there's something I can really relate to with you know, these people I'm meeting. And of course, eventually I realized it was because I was gay. Right. But I was that sheltered as well. It, because I don't think I've ever spoken to anyone who has had that specific experience, which is why well, it's wonderful because everyone's experience is their own, but to have not have acknowledged it. Is that denial or is it? No, I lived in, I lived in, I lived in a, what's the word, a very, very sheltered life. Yes. You know? I have a gay friend, Paul Hanwick, who I worked with at ID sort of when I was 18. And we had, he called me the other day and said, do you remember a conversation we had when you were 17? And I was like, I was like, what? And she said, apparently we sat down and I went, it's, it's being gay. It's being gay a European thing. Or, or is it everybody? That's how innocent I was. Hell yes, it is, honey. Oh, it's for everybody. Trust me. <laughs> but I couldn't even, I don't, that boy was so innocent and mm. so sheltered. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com So then who was your first crush, if there was one? My first crush was a model I met called James Dublin from right, East yeah. London. Black, um, so handsome, so charismatic. And even then I wasn't 100%. <laughs> you know, right. I was going through the confusions, but I knew that I found sort of James very attractive. And, you know, he, he had other things on his mind. <laughs> You got to kiss a lot of frogs, <laughs> but then because you were you were hanging out a lot in going to heaven and stuff, yes, right? In yes. your was that eighteen nineteen roughly? Heaven, oh my god! The yeah. club, I mean, even in, before that, right? And the mud club, this class, yeah. But you weren't out, were you? It was sort of no. All your friends were gay. It, it sort no. of. I thought, you know, my friends are gay. They're so much fun. Yeah. You know, even my cousin, Mike Michael, who lived, yes, who grew up in my house, you know. He would talk to my other best friend, Rowan. You're gay. I'm so sorry. You're gay. You're gay. And I'd just be like, well, maybe I am. Interesting. And um, it took a while for me to sort of sort of come to terms with it, I guess. Mm. But I just knew that there was something fabulous about being gay. Yes. You know? Yeah. There was something so wonderful about it. Of course, later I realized as well that a lot of 
gay people sort of leave home and mm. reject their families before they can be rejected. And I mean, I was kicked out. Mm. So, you know, yeah, I discovered this incredible world mm. of being queer. And much later than most, maybe. Yeah. But you kind of did it better than most as well. The, um, <laughs> So you, because you were kicked out by your dad, right? Yes. Because he bumped into you in in the street. Is that right? When you were off to go, <laughs> you were going off to work when you were lying and saying you were at college. <laughs> I, said, I said, I was going to Goldsmiths University. That was it. <laughs> Meanwhile, I was hanging out with the fashion crowd. I was working at ID. I was hanging out in nightclubs. <laughs> and then he's like, what are you doing here? And I said, oh. I think I have to be really honest. You're supposed to be at college, and I think I just blurted it out. Yes. You know, I'm not going to university, and I want to be in fashion. <laughs> and then when I went home, purposely threw my stuff out of the window, mm. which I collected in anger. And then I walked into ID Magazine, and Beth Summers, I think the same day, said, well, you know, I'm leaving, and you're taking over. So That's everything happens for a reason. It's- I was supposed to be caught that day. Yes. <laughs> Maybe for that to happen. That's a big day. So where did you stay that night? I think I stayed with Michael Bo- Michael Body. Michael left with me. I was going to say you just got a big job so you can go and rent a nice hotel room. But I no, was famously... No, I didn't have the time. There was yeah, no money. There was no money, right? I think I, I think I was on... Even when I was at my high, I was on something like, you know, maybe £7,000 a year. Wow. Because, but, it's, you know, when you're young, Michael, the excitement of London mm. at that time and energy and you know having just left home and mm. the freedom yes was quite intoxicating it well it was a movement you were part of i suppose yeah. right and that maybe only comes with hindsight would you say yeah. or did you feel like it was a thing at the time i mean i knew that i had all you know friends who are now really sort of the best of the best at what they do photographers like you know david sims mm. craig mcdean makeup artists like pat mcgrath and guido and and we were all part of a generation who wanted to sort of, we didn't want to be the 80s. We didn't like the 80s. We didn't mm. fit into the 80s. And our world was sort of Labbrook Grove, mm-hmm. you know, trying to outdo each other, Portobello Market. And we wanted to reflect what we saw in real life, mm. the pages of ID in the face, essentially. And, you know, Kate Moss. Yeah. And that became labeled as grunge. Yes. You know, because it was all very real. Was it called heroin chic of the same? Yes. <laughs> At the time, I was like, I've never done heroin in my life, but. They were very, the press really jumped on it and it became sort of, um, I guess, a cultural phenomenon. Yeah, because, you know, it's important to contextualise it, isn't it? Because fashion at that time, before you and your colleagues, for want of a better description, was, it was bright colours. Big shoulders. Blonde girls jumping. Yeah. And you were saying, I want to reflect the elaborate grave I walk up and down, which is a multicultural place. Yeah. And it really reminds me of, you know, there was always that famous picture that David Bailey took on a street corner in London. Mm-hmm. Was it was it outside of phone box or something? Yes. And everyone just couldn't get their head around, around it. Yeah. How could he step outside the studio? How could he <laughs> capture a spirit or a moment? But, but mom, yeah, youthquake. Yeah. yeah. And suddenly, and then, of course, what happens with culture, isn't it? It sort of drifts off in a certain direction and yeah. someone has to come back and wake it up. But it feels like it, it rhymes, you know. No, like, it's the same because... You know, we'd shoot in sort of dirty flats and mm. sort of 
really unkempt beaches and and models had you know no hair and makeup and and that really was our reality mm. that, you know and i think the world just sort of needed that change yes from the 80s as you said and you know everybody was whisked off to america mm. really i mean i stayed behind for a long time because mm. you know i was still working at id but i saw all my counterparts sort of whisk off and um it wasn't until much later when I worked for Calvin Klein that I ended up in America in the 1960s. Well, because you were in this position, weren't you, where, you know, you were um, creating amazing images that lots of people, stylists who yes, yes. do a lot of the creative, you know, there's people who don't know, like do a lot uh, of the creative of how a photograph is made. And they were then being s- snapped up by brands to go and yes. get paid lots of money. But because you were at ID, it, it, it was it was your employer right it was different whereas they were freelancers so they were all going getting rich and in america and you were left in in england (laughs) holding the fort (laughs) sort of creating incredible covers incredible you know Mm. images and being left behind and Mm. i remember i used to feel really sort of down about it Mm -hmm. i used to feel really down Mm. about it and and also when you're the only black one in the room when you're the only black one sort of at the time it sort of, I internalized it and then it felt like a sort of a personal act, but I just buckled down mm-hmm. and worked and until it was time to sort of go freelance and then mm. Calvin Klein came calling. So all those years were worth it. Yeah, yeah. So you so. went in at the top, to be fair, mm. because the Calvin Klein you were doing was Kate Moss CK. Yes, yes. CK. Yeah, which was like, I mean, what person of a certain age, i.e. mine, didn't have that pinned on their wall? You know, like, the, <laughs> did you do, were you the Mark Wahlberg one as well? Or was that a different, slightly different I think that was, a, that was a different team. Yeah. But we did with the tons of underwear, once you would have seen, yes. tons with cakes and fashion. And it was so exciting being in New York in 1996 mm. and working for Calvin. You, I thought, I've made it. Yeah. This is it. <laughs> This is it. I've arrived, you know, on top of the world. And then two years later, you get fired. Oh. <laughs> and it goes to another team. <laughs> <laughs> and how were you fired? In the fashion industry, they don't tell you you're fired. Yeah. You often find out when you're at a party and you say to someone, I'm off to do a job in LA tomorrow. And they're like, I'm booked for that job. And then you find out you're not on that job. So we call it, I used to call, we used to call it the hirings and the firing. Wow. But you never, you would never hear it from the client. You'd always hear it from somebody yeah. before it materialized. And then is that something you've sort of sought to change as you are now, you know, someone in a, a really high position of power? Or are you still in that hirings and firings cycle? <laughs> no. I mean, I just feel like, you know, when people are devoted and people work hard, they need to be sort of rewarded. I mean, I tried from the very beginning to surround myself with, you know, like-minded people mm. who are liked. And it's Anna Winter who once said to me, you know, when you employ people, make sure it's people you're happy to see when they walk towards your office. Mm. So for me, it was that simple. When I see, when you're walking towards me and I, I'm happy to see you, yes. it's a great employee. And do you believe in the idea that you can, if you hire people you like, you can teach them to do what you need from them in the role? 
I mean, you, you know, I believe in conversation. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, the final decision is my decision. Mm-hmm. But I like people who can sort of argue a case, mm-hmm. who can sort of bring ideas forth and then, you know, have discussions about it. I don't want to work with people who are scared and mm-hmm. yes, you all the time. You know, mm. So my team are sort of, they know that it's a small team. Yeah. But they know that we can have conversations, but ultimately I have to decide. And it's a team that have been with you for a long time on the whole is that well, it's, right? it's it's you know half of them were there from before i got there and half came when i when i started mm. one of them being giles hattersley who i know from my old days i adore giles giles is my right hand he's a wonderful such player. a brilliant journalist a brilliant mind yeah and I don't um, know you knew Giles. Yeah, so in the book when you're talking about the Shadow Lounge and all yeah. of that, so I always used to run into Giles <laughs> oh, in the Shadow <laughs> Lounge because you speak about Lee McQueen and yeah, Alexander McQueen Lee and Guido and being in there. Um, yeah. so, what a yeah. great club. Yeah. Did you used to go much though? I couldn't quite tell whether you went as well from the page. I mean, I was with Lee all the time. So right. I, so at one time I counted and it was five nights a week. <laughs> what, what, <laughs> that answers what, that question what, what then. I counted it was like five months, five Five nights, but it was so. London has never seen anything like that in a long while. Yeah, it was very. Um, I've spoken about this on the podcast a lot, but like it was a very. So I came out with my friend Andy. Mm-hmm. We came out at the same time, which was a really magical thing because we basically. When was there? This was when we were nineteen, so two thousand, two thousand one, and we basically held each other's hands and went up to London. <gasps> and he was like, "I've seen this place." called freedom on wardour street. oh my god so we went into freedom on wardour street and we were like i'm not sure this is quite right so we asked at the bar excuse me do you know if there's anywhere we can go and they pointed you to the shadow they went to the shadow lounge which was over the road oh my god in we went to the shadow lounge pushed our ways to the front we're like oh we're supposed to be on the guest list um we used to call it the shady yes and went in and probably met giles had to sleep that night uh, Andy immediately got a boyfriend that night, so never came back with me. I had to go with, try and find other people <laughs> to go with from there. Literally started dating someone that night. I was like, we just came out. <laughs> Take your time. <laughs> you just grab. To be fair, Where, really where's Andy now? Andy now lives in Los Angeles. Oh. Very, very happy. Still working in fashion, actually. Oh. But it was a magical place and it had that <laughs> raised. Do you remember that raised balcony round? The raised it? balcony in the, in the mm. VIP room. Yes. And the nights I spent in there with Grace Jones, Kate, Naomi. All the, we'd yeah. always end up there somehow. Yeah. No matter what event there was, <laughs> pretty much like the Chelsea Firehouses now. Yes. We'd all end up a shadow <laughs> Yeah. And there was a curtain, wasn't there? There was a curtain that sort of closed off that yeah. VIP lounge. <laughs> and everyone smoked indoors. How there wasn't a fire How in was there? that possible back then? Can you imagine walking into a club now that was full of people smoking? No, but I remember when people to smoke on planes mm. and the back two rows you did <laughs> the bit the only bit of the plane that's being full of everyone else's <laughs> cigarette smoke because i remember as a kid getting off planes and stinking of smoke my parents smoked yeah. anyway but i remember it was a really strong um so the shadow lounge was good yeah piece of london history that's the end of part one. More stories to come. Edward is full of them. It's a right, uh, I believe the kids would call it rufflecopter, this one. That's the end of part one. Go find part two on the feed. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Powered by Spirit Studios.